All right, guys. Today, we have a very, very exciting episode of the show. Um, it's going to be a really good episode, so you're going to want to take a, a, some time to listen to this. It's a very heartfelt story um, about a teacher who got fired from her job for trying to create a supplemental income. Um, we'll just leave it at that. We'll let, let her tell you her story. Uh, she was featured on Dr. Phil, uh, at the time of this recording, which is, sorry, I got to look at the watch here, Friday the 16th. So, uh, before we jump into that though, we're going to get a word from today's sponsor and then jump into this exciting episode. Are you looking for clean energy without jitters and bad side effects? No sugar, artificial sweeteners, or preservatives? With a good source of energy from green tea and B12, then look no further. Make sure you visit pureboost.com and check them out today. We use this every day. It's our drink of choice to give us that good pick-me-up in the morning. All right, welcome back to a very exciting episode of the podcast. Today we have a very, very special guest. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, guys. I am Sarah Jury, and I am most famous for being the teacher fired for starting an OnlyFans page. How are you? I am excellent. Fantastic. So tell me a little bit about yourself and um, uh, a little bit of your background. Yeah. So I have been a teacher for about 20 years now. I kind of got into informal education. So essentially I was more like a field trip teacher. Uh, teachers would bring their students to our program and then go back with their classes uh, after the sessions were over. And about five years ago, I became a single mom to twins uh, on a teacher salary. And the longer I stayed single, the more difficult being a, a single mom financially was on me. And I was working really hard. I had about five to six side hustles that I was doing at any given time. But I found myself still caught up very much in a poverty cycle. And uh, a local friend had said that she started an OnlyFans and had made $10,000 that month. And I was like, wow, if I was able to make some money on OnlyFans, I might be able to pay my car off and get out of my credit card debt. Mm. So essentially I did it more or less out of financial desperation. Well, I mean, you, you know, you got to do what you got to do to make some money, especially nowadays. Yes. Yeah. And I think we all knew when inflation got really high and the gas prices went up um grocery prices went up like even the dollar tree is a dollar 25 now and you know i would shop there for sometimes for groceries for my kids and um a few days before i was fired um we had actually had a conversation in the office my boss and another teacher and myself about the idea of sex work and um my boss had actually encouraged me to start an OnlyFans page and 
sell my panties on it. He was like, yeah, you can make a lot of money selling panties on OnlyFans. Um, so I had just started my account and I was like, this is awesome. Like my job's going to be safe. My boss is encouraging me to start a page and even sell my panties on it. Um, so that was a Thursday. That was my last day of, um, teaching before I was going to have a month off from work. So I, that weekend I started promoting my OnlyFans page on Facebook and, um, a local blogger in the area stole my photos, my nude photos on my OnlyFans page and sent them to my employer, got me fired, wrote this crazy article about me. And that kind of what kicked is what kicked off this whole like crazy past six months. Wow, that's that's incredibly messed up for somebody to do something like that to try to ruin somebody's life just because of Yes, that. yeah. He has um I mean in my opinion a mental illness. He is this blogger in the area and he has this vendetta against teachers, which is so strange to me because everyone knows about the teaching shortage and that nobody really wants to be teaching right now. Um, but not only was it me who he did actually get fired, but Shortly after me, he tried getting a gay band teacher fired from the high school. My friend's boyfriend was a teacher and he had like Black Lives Matters on his um, uh, profile on Facebook. And he wrote this big article that he was a communist and tried getting him fired. So it really is a strange scenario. Um, but the the band teacher ended up getting his job back um however i never did <laughs> so in in joining only fans because i i've only heard you know some of of what it actually yeah. is and i know it's across the spectrum from what i understand how quickly did that take off for you well after that blogger wrote the article about me some other media outlets, the New York Post, Barstool Sports, um, a few, uh, several other articles um, got picked up and then they wrote some crazy articles about me. Um, but then it kind of spread internationally. So the Brazilian market picked up a story about me. Australia, the UK, the Daily Star in the UK writes about me several times. Um, so then the next thing I know, I'm being written about in articles around the world. So thankfully, when I get a media boost, um, it tends to help my finances. Um, otherwise, had that not happened, I would have been in big trouble financially. I mean, I'm still not doing great, but um, I was on the Dr. Phil show and that just aired today. So I've got my fingers and toes crossed for like a really big boost. 
And I was going to ask you about that because I, I saw a bit of your live today and uh, yesterday, yeah. too, I believe, and you were talking about that. How was that experience in, in going to see Dr. Phil and to be on a part of his program? Yeah, that's such a good question because I haven't gotten to talk about that yet. Um, <clears throat> Dr. Phil's staff were amazing. I'm still like friends with one of the producers that had called me to bring me onto the show. Um, so, so nice, so accommodating, took care of me, like from the moment they booked my, uh, flight until I, uh, got out to LA. So the experience itself was just amazing. Um, I was really sick on the show. So, uh, I wasn't feeling well, but, um, it, it, I wasn't, I didn't feel nervous until I was on the stage with the lights, Dr. Phil sitting next to me. And I could tell that when I would talk, I could feel my voice shaking. So I think I was very nervous. And, you know, when you're in those situations, um, afterwards, you always think like, man, I wish I would have said this, or I wish I would have spoke up during this part. So I think, um, I'm like very proud of myself for going on and sharing my story. Um, but it did certainly make me think about some stuff afterwards. Yeah, I can only imagine, especially being on that broad of a uh, of a show that has such far outreach not only should that you know like you said that that should help you out financially as well but you know that gets your story out there too because you never know how many more people are out there yes listening. it's so true and you know just as a woman I was kind of talking on my live a, a little bit ago this idea of virtual sex is not going away. I mean, I've been a single woman for five years. I've been on every dating site imaginable. There's nothing that I've been doing on OnlyFans that I wasn't doing on dating sites. Like the idea of virtual sex has become morally and socially acceptable in our culture. Um, people still get very triggered if a woman makes money on it, but otherwise I was on Tinder. I was on Bumble and as a single woman, there's nothing that I've done on OnlyFans that I hadn't been doing on dating sites. So I think that's really an interesting concept. And when I kind of talk about this idea you know, lots of people will call me a sex worker, but I kind of have been thinking that I really prefer the term e-sex worker because I'm not having sex with anyone in person. Um, in fact, up until recently, um, I was celibate on the platform. So um, I think it's just interesting when I kind of zoom out and think about like people's triggers around sex and talking about sex and 
all the shame that we grow up with around our bodies and even being a sexual being, in particular a woman, it's so different because I feel like for men, you grow up and being a sexual being is like um, expected, right? Like uh, there's no real conversations I feel like with men about managing your sexual energy or being responsible with your sexual energy. It's almost like the opposite is true that the less responsible you are with your sexual energy, the more women you sleep with, the more value you have or the more you're celebrated. But with a woman, you if you express your sexuality, there's a hundred derogatory terms, you know, and names that you're called. Um, and so for women, you're, you're grown up with the, You grow up with the idea that you need to suppress your sexuality. You need to be this good girl, um, to be very hyper responsible with your sexuality, because if you're not, you're going to be called names and, um, you're gonna, you're gonna get some sort of stigmatism in, in our society. And I feel like OnlyFans is just this beautiful opportunity for women to be more free and open in expressing their sexual energy and sexuality. Um, not that there's still not stigma to it, but I feel like the more women that do it, the better it is for the collective. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's, it's so one-sided, even, you know, myself being of the opposite sex, it is, it is one-sided, you know, um, you get a guy who, who sleeps with a ton of women and he's, he's admired, but you flip that over. and it's a total Yeah. Mess. And it was, you know, it was so strange way. to me because, um, you know, I talk a lot about dating sites and I said the hookup culture that's been created, I feel like is really detrimental to women because um, I felt like a sexual consumable. And I that was actually why I became celibate because I, I got so tired of men pretending they wanted to date me when they only wanted to sleep with me. Um, and that became like very hurtful. It created a lot of sexual trauma for me. And so then I spent the majority of my five years being celibate. So OnlyFans was actually a very like safe platform for me to express my sexual energy in a virtual way where I felt like safe. I wasn't really sleeping with anyone, but I could still connect in that way. Um, so it was so strange to me because I was like, if I had been on Tinder and if I had been sleeping with a lot of men and bringing men into my children's lives, I would still have my job because in some weird way, that scenario is more morally acceptable than me being celibate and being on a virtual sex platform. Yeah. And, and, you know, that does make sense that, you know, when you explain it that way, it's, it's, it's almost as if, 
society has has one way of doing things and when you go against the grain then you drag through the same so yeah it's it's so interesting and i was thinking after the dr phil show you know my thoughts were swirling in my head um and i before i so i want to be clear that when i joined only fans i was only on it a couple weeks before i got fired i I didn't have a lot of fans. I wasn't making any money. I didn't even know what I was doing on the site. I, in my mind, I was like, I'm just going to sell some nudes on the side, you know? Um, so as I've been on the platform now, I've learned so much more. And I was thinking about COVID when OnlyFans got really, really popular, right? All of a sudden, our government shuts the whole world down. And as humans, we are social, emotional, and sexual beings. So what happened was a virtual sex platform became very popular. And it's my opinion that um, the fans who are majority men who are on OnlyFans um, I believe a lot of them actually use OnlyFans not just as a platform for sex, but also social emotional. Um, I think as a single person, uh, there's a lot of very lonely people out there. There's a lot of people that for whatever reason, maybe sex is very difficult. Like for me, I've had a lot of sexual trauma. Um, so I was celibate, but there's a lot of you know, you think about people with disabilities, think about people with autism who have difficulty interacting socially. Um, sex or finding a sexual partner is probably a very difficult thing. And so I get to know my fans and I get to hear their stories about why they're on there. Um, and I want to be very clear, too, that the men that are on OnlyFans are the kindest, most respectful men that I've ever met in my life. Lots of people will say, like, they think I get treated poorly because I'm on OnlyFans, but I've never been treated kinder by men. It's very, it's been very healing and good for me in that way because, you know, it's a consensual site. So, um, you know, I don't do anything that I don't feel comfortable with. And I've never had a man ask me to do anything. And if I did, they would ask me if I was comfortable. And if I said no, I've never had anyone get upset about it. Um, but, you know, I have fans on there. One of them, uh, he's a widow. And his wife just passed away. But he still gets horny. He has sexual energy to release. But he pro he doesn't want to be on a dating site. It's safe to do it in a virtual way with like, I'm a very sweet person and, you know, I'll chat back and forth. Um, there's another man. His wife has um, the onset, early onset dementia. And so he told me, he's like, I don't feel comfortable initiating sex with my wife because she's not there. So, so many people who aren't on OnlyFans 
have no idea about the platform. They just hear the word OnlyFans. They get triggered because of whatever issues they have inside about sex. And then they think it's this horrible thing. But um, it's my belief that if our society was open-minded about virtual sex, it is such a beautiful healing platform for people. You know, really you think about um, the abortion issues, right? Or even just me being a single woman. I don't want to risk getting an unplanned pregnancy. I don't want to get STIs and have sex in real life with lots of people. Um, the virtual sex platform really has a good um, opportunity for people to like be responsible with their sexual energy, do it in a very safe and virtual way where they feel um, like it's just a safe space to do that. Um, you know, yesterday I did a virtual video chat with the um, 23 year old virgin, you know, this man. And so he's nervous. So it was nice because we could kind of role play and he can be sexy, but, um, you know, I can kind of give him a little confidence boost so that when he does go out and have sex in real life, he won't maybe feel so intimidated by the idea of it. Yeah. And, you know, it's for me just, you know, hearing, some of the stuff you're talking about when, when it comes to OnlyFans, I don't I don't see what the big deal is, especially when it comes down to stuff, you know, like you've got, you know, the, the pornographic yeah. websites, you've got Playboy and all that. I mean, you know, why, why throw a big fuss over something like that when it's really not? Yes, and that was either. really what I felt like was like, I'm not doing anything illegal. I really didn't feel like I was doing anything immoral because I was just at the time, even just selling nudes behind a paywall. I wasn't even doing anything else other than that. Um, and in my mind, I'm like, I've sent nudes on dating sites. Like, I just feel like if you looked in people's phones, uh, every uh, DM opportunity, Instagram, Facebook, dating sites, people are exchanging nudes. They are sexting. They, they are. And even with men, it's so interesting to me when we talked about the double standard, I was like, wow, as a single woman, I have had hundreds of unsolicited dick pics sent to me. And in our culture, this idea of a dick pic is an acceptable practice. Like men don't worry about losing their jobs. They don't worry about somebody stealing their dick pic and posting it on a, a social media platform for other people to shame and humiliate them. That is only reserved for women. And, um, you know, men will never worry about being revenge porn. It's not even part of their experience. Like as a woman, I didn't know about revenge porn until it happened to me. But I thought, wow, it's the latest way 
to use technology to weaponize a woman's body and sexuality against her. It's horrible. Oh, yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more. And, and you know, I, I, I'm i of the mindset, you know, what you do behind your closed doors is what, what you do. It doesn't involve me. You know, if that's what you want to do, more power to you. And if it makes you happy. Yeah, it's interesting to, to me. I think especially with <clears throat> losing my job, where does the line get drawn between your personal life and your employer's right? Like, I feel like when you leave work, you get to have a private life. And what I do behind closed doors, um, if I was swinging from the ceiling and having a threesome, that's not my employer's business. Like, uh, so I also feel like that was a big breach, like a big overreach. Um, and it's kind of like, well, if, if you're, employer gets to decide what's moral where does the line get drawn tinder that's not you know there's men that i feel like they used me for sex in the in the lieu of of dating that's not moral in my opinion why weren't they losing their jobs like i just feel like it's a slippery slope when an employer infringes upon your private uh you know time and you know i understand this idea that um you know people have certain moral standards for teachers um but at the end of the day teachers are human teachers are sexual beings and um i wasn't bringing only fans into the classroom I mean, people have sexual lives, but they don't bring them to the boardroom. They don't bring them to the office, you know. So I think it's a little crazy to me that people don't think that I was able to be a professional in the classroom with children. Um, especially because I did go back to work. I had my OnlyFans set up for a couple weeks. I went back to work to teach summer camp for three weeks. And I still have the email from my boss telling me how great summer camps were. You know, I mean, it's no different than having children in your house and having sex in your bedroom with your partner. You know, it's like, what? Just because I was on OnlyFans? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's nuts. It really is. And, you know, when, when I... So I don't remember exactly how I stumbled across your Instagram page, but when I started scrolling through and then I started uh, you know, reading what was out there, I, I had to hear it from you because that's really the only way you're going to get the true aspect of the story is hear it from the Yeah, and you know, it was very overwhelming to be in the news. Like, I was just a regular person. It would just small town Indiana girl, single mom trying to pay rent. Um, and the next thing I know, I'm like a headline, but you know, the media is trying, they're there for the clickbait. They're there for, uh, the likes and they are there to trigger people so that they will make comments. And so I got um, 
sort of unfairly projected as this like um irresponsible teacher or just like something like I was making kids call me by my porn name and this ridiculous stuff. The blogger called me a groomer. Uh, so I have um, made it um, a very important mission of mine that I'm able to go on podcasts that I do magazine articles from my point of view with my story um, because I really got to see the very ugly side of the media. Um, I mean, I guess all press is good press, but the first uh, podcast I did, I remember at the end of the show, the guy said to me, I'm so glad you're not crazy like I thought you were from the articles I read. Oh, it's crazy how they can they can take something so minuscule and, and turn it into something big yeah. and make you. A yes, movie. and it came out of nowhere. So for me, um, it was very, um, it was very detrimental to my mental health. Like I had already been having a lot of financial struggles for the year. And so I was already struggling with um, depression and suicidal ideation. So then when all of this happened, it just, it compounded it. And, you know, I got very close to like, I don't want to cry. Uh, I got very close to like making a plan to commit suicide. And, um... I talk about this because um, I feel like it's an important part of my story. And, um, you know, there's lots of people that struggle with those same feelings. Um, and so I feel like if I can, like, be very brave in sharing my story and being very transparent then um, not only do I get to find healing for myself in my storytelling, but I get to hopefully help heal and inspire other people, make people feel not so alone. Um, I feel like in some ways I took some daggers, um, kind of like you said, as a martyr for women, but I feel very committed to um, trying to use my story and my platform that I'm getting now to protect other women so that they don't have to get dragged through the same, um, ordeal that I got dragged through. Yeah. And, you know, and it's also one of those things, regardless of what you do for a living, if your story can help just one person turn their life around because you you don't know what the person. <sighs> yes, it's so true, and through. that's why I love coming on podcasts because I just know that there's gonna be that right person that hears my story, and it's going to make them 
watch my story and I feel very committed to showing people that you can take a desperate situation and you can turn it around for your good, that you just have to keep pressing and um, standing in your power and staying in your story because, you know, there was a, a time period where I felt like I had lost everything. You know, I had to grieve a 20-year teaching career. Um, and I was a damn good teacher. Like, I really um, wanted kids to feel empowered and happy in my classroom. And I wanted them, like, I wanted their fifth grade memory in my classroom to be the, one of their favorite memories of the year. So, you know, it was a lot of loss. And then I had to kind of cope with this, like, um, being thrust into the media, having stories told about me that weren't true and in alignment with who I really am inside and in my heart. Um, so I think it was just a lot. It's taken me months and months to kind of, uh, re rebuild some stability in my life. And, um, you know, there was a period of time where I kind of felt that the only thing I had left was my story and my voice. And so I just kept booking podcasts and booking podcasts and, uh, you know, any media outlet that would talk to me, I would, I would tell them that. And what I kind of love about it all is like people come for the scandal and they come for the sexy photos, but then we get to talk and I get to share like my heart and I get to share my experience and my ideas about sex. And I get to give people a different perspective, um, on different things like even OnlyFans or virtual sex platforms. Um, so that's what I really love is to kind of give them the plot twist. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's, I think it's been this way for a long time in society is where people judge you based off of what they see, not, not what they don't know. And most people genuinely, I feel like for the, I wouldn't say most people probably, you know, a certain percentage of society, just, they don't want to get to know you on a personal level and, and get to see, okay, well you do this for a living, but, you're really this type of person. So what you're portraying. Is yeah. Actually and also are. that there are many versions of who we are, right? Like I'm just as much the like sexy, horny woman at times as I am the sweet, caring teacher or the mom, you know, and I feel like that's been a freedom almost to be able to embrace that side of me and not repress it or suppress it or treat it like it's bad or wrong. Um, I really get to step in fully to this body and what it really means to be human and as a woman. Um, so I feel like that's kind of the exciting part is that now I kind of got a free pass to explore lots of lots of stuff. Like I just went out to LA and made my first girl, girl content. So now it's almost like this whole world is opening up for me. 
And it was funny because my daughter said to me last night, we were chatting and she was like, uh, said something about being a lesbian or mom, do you think you'd ever be a lesbian? And I was like, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. I don't, I said, I would be open to it. Um, and she said, yeah, mom, but what if people wouldn't like you then? And I said, well, honey, half of the world doesn't like me. So <laughs> they already don't like me. So I said, what does it matter anymore? Just add one more thing, you know, but there is a freedom to being polarizing and having my story out there in that way, because once you get over the fact that people are going to say the meanest, nastiest things about you that you've ever heard in your life, it's over and done and you can just go live your life and do what you want. You know, it's like I remembered reading some comments and, um, you know, reading the meanest things about me, like lots of mean things about my body, lots of body shaming, lots of I'm ugly, this and that. And, um, it was so hurtful, like in a way, like it almost took my breath away because the social media people are so mean. They just, they, they project all that self-hatred and sadness in their life onto other people. But then it was almost like, well, after you've read every crazy mean thing about yourself, there's a freedom there. You just, it doesn't matter anymore. So if someone says anything, it's like, okay, well. I guess you agree with that other person. My, I got bad eyebrows. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, like you said, it, you know, when it comes to online bullying in, in general, it doesn't matter what you do. Somebody's going to have a bad opinion just because they're having a bad day. Or yes. Whatever the case is. And on the other side of that keyboard, you know, there's somebody who, is it may be going through something. And yes, it, it is so happen. true. And I think you can kind of sit and watch how we behave on social media, how cruel we are to each other. And then we wonder why kids are so mean in school. Um, but that's why it's because we have a problem as adults with it. And I really loved what you were saying earlier about not knowing what people are going through because the truth is everyone has a story that would break your heart. Everyone has a story that would break your heart if you sat down and you listened to them and you heard where they came from and you would marvel at their bravery over the um, trials and hardships that they have had in grief and loss and sadness that they have had to overcome. And so as humans, we forget that grief and loss and sadness is all part of everyone's human experience. And the stories are what humanizes people to one another. Because once you hear someone's story, if you're, if you have any empathy, you understand. And even in my situation, like I was in a financially desperate situation, you know, it's, you know, some people, 
I didn't join OnlyFans to like be a porn star. I joined it to pay to like make 50 bucks and fill my gas tank to get to work, you know? Um, and when I think about it just culturally, you know, we really value what we put our money towards, right? So as a teacher, the fact that I'm living in a poverty cycle and our society is okay with this, everybody knows that teachers don't get paid well. Lots of people know that teachers have two or three side jobs after they're done teaching with kids all day. Many people don't know that teachers get hit and cussed at and, and you know, all the, the de demands of teaching that are making teachers flee the profession. Um, so it's also, as a woman, so crazy to me that I went to school, got my college degree, I'm teaching children, and I'm using my heart and my soul and intelligence, and I'm in a poverty cycle, but I can take my clothes off. And there's a chance for me to make a million dollars on a platform for having sex. I mean, in, in some ways, I still can't wrap my head around it. But on the other hand, I'm like, as a woman, I'm going to be sexualized anyway. Why not empower myself and make money, you know? And there are people who say, you know, I get a lot of pushback about the whole, like, well, OnlyFans is not empowering to women. And I say to them, for you to understand how a woman feels empowered on OnlyFans, you have to understand all the ways a woman is disempowered. You know, um, it's uncomfortable to talk about, but I've been a victim of rape culture. I was raped at 19, and that was my first sexual experience. Um I've been a victim of sexual harassment culture. I had a soldier at my last job. I was a teacher, uh, a civilian teacher at a military facility, and a man stalked and harassed me for five years. Uh, I would get death threats, and uh, I even had my carpet lit on fire with a firework at my old uh, residence. Um I've been revenge porn. That's that's a, a crime against women. And then I even feel like dating sites, the hookup culture, feeling like a, like a sexual consumable. Like, yeah, it felt really good to go on OnlyFans and to have a man say, hey, I'd like some nudes and I'll pay you for them. Like, for me, it took away any sense of manipulation that I was feeling on dating sites because I'm like, oh. You are, I'm going to provide you with, um, you know, sexually stimulating content and you're going to pay me for this. Oh, great. It's like transactional. So there's a level of like respect and energy exchange there that I felt like on dating sites, there was such a dishonesty about people's intentions. You know, there's married people that join or you know, people in relationships that get in a fight with their girlfriend and then go hop on a dating site. Well, I've been single five years. You're not even single. <laughs> you haven't even broke up with someone. But 
That's not the way they present it, right? Yeah, yeah, and ex exactly. And to go back to your point on, on teachers in general, especially women teachers, I think teachers in general need to be making more than they do. One, because they're teaching future generations, future leaders of companies, um, you know, the, the country, you know, it's, it's one of those things where because you're not willing to pay the people that educate the young so when they get older they can be proper citizens and be able to be successful in life, you're, you're pretty much setting people up for failure. You are, and I think it really is a mirror to our cultural values on how we really feel about education because if we really felt that education was paramount in our country and that our children were the most important thing teachers would be revered we would be we would be like living in mansions <laughs> and i have a a friend that i went to high school with and she uh, became a teacher. Almost all my friends became teachers. And she um, went and she started teaching internationally. And she was teaching in Jakarta. And she came back one summer and we were chatting. And she was like, Sarah, I am treated like a queen. She said, I have a driver who drives me to school. She said, I have like a, a lady who like shampoos my hair. She got paid well over there. It was like, what? And I started laughing. I was like, yeah, well, they don't treat us. <laughs> well, they don't treat us like queens here. Um, you know, and so I feel like there's just uh, my story so interesting because there's so many layers to it that we can discuss and you can start peeling things back. And I feel like nothing's really going to change until you can have intelligent and heartfelt conversations around issues you know, even something like teacher pay. Um, so if I get an opportunity to advocate for teacher pay, you know, I certainly um, will take every opportunity that I can to support teachers because I was a teacher for a long time. And I also know many, many teachers and they really have a special kind of heart inside of them. Um, especially teachers who have been hanging in there and have had a long career working with children. Like um, it takes a lot of emotional energy to work with kids. I mean, I have two twins um, and to teach all day and then come home and be a mom, uh, <laughs> you know, it takes a different type of, of very soft and loving and caring personality. Yeah, and when you when you're teaching kids, whether it be you know kindergarten to to high school, you know it takes that certain amount of patience too, because there's always going to be that. One yes, yes, there are, and then you have you know as teachers, like you have so many kids with different uh, learning abilities. Uh, you have kids that might be going through a lot of traumas at home. And uh, you have a whole classroom, like 30 of them at one time. It's a lot. Lots of teachers are overwhelmed. Lots of teachers are burned out. So I do want to make this very clear that 
um, you know, teachers should not be expected to be martyrs, um, that there really needs to be some serious policy change. And, you know, if that doesn't happen, we're just going to keep watching the demise of um, the education system in this country because lots of teachers are leaving the profession or, you know, even teachers looking at my situation and they're like, well, I can go make more on OnlyFans. Why am I going to do this? Um, and then you have the COVID years, right? Where you have kids who were essentially, um, lots of them were home for two years. And so now they're like two years behind curriculum and socially. So you have fifth graders who are not fifth graders. They are socially and academically third graders, you know, and that was actually why I got into reading tutoring because of COVID, you had uh, kindergartners and first graders who were supposed to be learning reading fundamentals, but they were at home and you really can't teach that virtually. So I had some friends that were like, can, uh, can you help my child with reading? And I was like, yes, I can, because I was hustling for, <laughs> you know, uh, all these side jobs. I was like, yep, I did reading tutoring. I did keto coaching. I did, um, I got uh, certified in group exercise. I've lost a lot of weight in my uh, fitness journey. I purchased sublimation equipment. I made shirts, tumblers, and mugs. I taught myself how to do that. I went in with a friend on a salon and was doing teeth whitening for a minute. I donated plasma. <laughs> if there was if there was 20 or 100 bucks somewhere, I was going to go earn it for myself. And see, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, nowadays it's pretty normal for somebody to have. Yes, you almost have to, on, especially on if you're a single person like of, myself. Yeah, and, and the thing that I find very troubling with society and you know I, I would hope i'm not the only one that feels this way is that no matter what you do around the corner somebody that's triggered by something you've done regardless of whether yes anything you're right it's on. like kind of that conversation with my daughter like you just you can't worry about everybody liking you because it's gonna stifle stifle you from living in your truth and being your most authentic self, you know, um, not everyone's going to like you and that's okay. You're not made to be liked by everyone. And I tell myself that all the time. I'm like, I don't really have to worry about go finding fans because fans find me like the right people. And every time I do an Instagram, every time I talk to someone on my OnlyFans page, I find the nicest people. They just like flock to me and it just makes me feel very so good because I'm like, yeah, I don't have to worry about everyone liking me because the right people do, the kind people, the open-minded people, the compassionate people. Um, it's been so good for me and it's been so good for my own personal journey in healing, um, healing my own traumas with men, you know, um, you know, I have this, this huge father wound. My dad was a abusive alcoholic and I would watch him beat my mom up when I was a kid. He, uh, 
I found out when my mom died that he was doing heroin. And he died living in a park in Phoenix, Arizona when I was 16. And so I have this long uh, history of like trauma with men. Uh, and also this very long history of poverty cycle. So it was kind of, my story gets even more interesting when you learn the backstory. Cause it's like my dad died living in a park. You cannot get more impoverished, right? My mom fled an abusive, um, relationship with my dad and but she became the single mom in a poverty cycle and we lived with my grandparents my whole life and she didn't have a lot of money when she died but I was always the good girl and I was always smart and a, a good performer in school and so I was hell-bent on getting a degree because in my mind if I just had a college degree, I would always have some sense of financial stability. Like that was my golden ticket, right? To like changing my life. Um, and when I was married for 13 years, my teaching salary was a supplemental income. So it wasn't so pertinent, right? It was my teaching income put sent us on vacations. It wasn't, um, you know, uh, that um, important as far as like paying the bills or not. But then when I became a single mom, um, my teaching salary just wasn't enough to uh, be able to live a comfortable lifestyle, you know, and all of a sudden I'm, you know, shopping at the Dollar Tree for groceries sometimes for my kids and, um, you know, just those kind of things. Or, uh, I need gas, but it's, I'm not quite to payday. So then I have to figure out like, I'll just put my gas on my credit card and then I'll just figure it out. So I just started getting in more and more credit card debt. Um, you know, and I feel like lots of people can understand and, and empathize uh, when we are talking about inflation and prices going high. It also like kind of coincided with all the COVID relief money ending. So for a little while, I got like whatever it was, $250 a month for the child tax credit for one of my kids. So it was like that got taken away and then all all the um prices went up, right? So $250, well that's may not be a lot to people, but that was my car payment, right? So now all of a sudden I don't have my car payment money and everything's costing more. So, you know, people understand when they're when they're in a, a financial crunch it's hard it gets very stressful it makes you feel sad yeah and you're not wrong i mean i've i've been in that situation where you don't know where your next meal is going to come from you don't know how you're going to pay your bills and you know there 
thankfully there are people out there few and far between but few, uh, people out there that if you just happen to run across them they they help you if they can and then the the flip side of that is from from your perspective and your story is to to see that one you know you're not being treated properly as a teacher and compensated properly as as all teachers should be then you go and you try to make that supplemental so you can make it and, and get the basics that you need to have and then all of a sudden you're, you're drug through the dirt it just it makes no sense it really doesn't it would be kind of and, and i know it's not the exact same but it would be like you know working at walmart and then going to work at mcdonald's yeah it was very much feeling like kicked while i'm down type thing and that blogger really cheered for getting me fired and it felt so um devastating because i was like you just took the primary income for you just took the primary income source away from a single mom. Like, what is that to be proud about? Like, I wasn't hurting you. I wasn't infringing upon you. In fact, you went to my OnlyFans page, purchased those photos, and then broke the terms of service and went and distributed them without my consent to hu humiliate me and get me fired. Like, it just seems like um, a pretty evil act to do that to somebody. I couldn't agree more. And it's and it's also one of those things that if you kind of think about it like I do, kind of in a not so much simpler terms, but you think of it as, as if you're in that situation of you've got that one person that it seems like that's that's all they have time for is making yes. other people's lives miserable. Yes, and, miserable. and his blog is very hate-filled and, and very um, insane. It's the only way, like, I, it is my opinion that the blogger that did this to me has some severe mental illnesses. Um, but unfortunately, people like clickbait and they like salacious articles and, you know, nothing was more interesting that day than some blonde nude teacher, you know. And it's kind of my belief that he did it in a way to, like, get himself famous. But I was like, well, you can't put a pretty blonde, a nude picture of a pretty blonde, you know, only covering my lady bits out. And not expect me like that to go viral. Like, <laughs> like everyone be like, I want to go see the nude teacher. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's it's crazy. It really is. So what what is next for you? You think what what's what is? <sighs> That's such a good like question because um, there's so many question marks. And, uh, you know, I guess if I get to write my future, um, there's going to be lots of healing involved, lots of sharing my story. I would like to write a book. Um, I really would like 
to um, make a lot of money on OnlyFans. I'm like getting more comfortable with the idea of actually making um, like sex content now, explicit content. Um, where before I was still very like celibate, not sure, um, you know, so the interesting thing is like people get to watch my journey in real time and they get to watch me like take this adventure on OnlyFans and see where it's going to take me because I don't even know. I couldn't have imagined at the beginning of this year, New Year's Day that all of this craziness was going to happen to me, that I was going to be on Dr. Phil and making content with girls and flying out to LA. And, um, it's been equal parts terrifying and scary and exciting and, and liberating, uh, all the things. So, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, uh, I just hope that I'm able to, um, you know, create some financial stability. A lot of people, they think like, oh, I want to make a million dollars on OnlyFans. I want to buy a Lambo and this and that. But I'm 41 years old and I've been struggling with financial insecurity for so many years now that my aspirations are different. I want uh, I, I need a retirement fund. I want investments for my children. Like that is my priority is cultivating some financial stability for myself. And I feel like once I get some financial stability, I'll be able to, you know, kind of relax a little and find some, figure out how this path is unfolding. Well, listen, I appreciate you coming on, on my show to tell your story. I, I, I think that the more that you tell your story, um, you know, the more you're going to help somebody down the road. And, you know, I, I, I genuinely feel like that, you know, not actually knowing you, but you, you seem like a very good person that your, your, your heart's in the right place, especially because you want to take care of your family. You it is, you know, I always say as a mom, like you know. if my kids are okay, I'm okay. If my kids are okay, I'm okay. And that's been my motto for a lot of years now. Um, but I just am so honored that you took uh, time. You asked me to be on here. And, and so for me too, it's just like, so, humbling and such a blessing to be able to talk with people and then someone Joshua like you with such like a, a kind heart and lots of empathy and really providing a platform for people to share their stories so we can feel more connected and not uh, less connected with each other on our journeys um, it's a beautiful thing and I, I hope lots of people will listen Well, I appreciate that a lot, and and you know, I I, I wish the best for you, and you know, what it's all good. It's got to be good. We've got to have a good stuff. ending. That's right, blessed and unstoppable. That's it. Put that good energy out there. That's right, yes, ma'am. Well, I appreciate it a lot. This has been a real pleasure, um, you know, and. 
Yes, uh, they they have to. I'm, I'm sure. I claim it. 